You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Gilbert Hernandez. Uh, Gilbert's one of the more recognizable names in alt comics uh, with his brother Jaime. They pretty much created alternative comics in the early 80s with Love and Rockets. Um, and Gilbert is uh, a force of comics. I was uh, prepping for this interview and read a very large stack of comics. Um, but probably what most excited me was the most recent comics, uh, Blubber, the series that he has from Fantagraphics right now. Uh, some of the most uh, out there, extreme, um, fun comics I've read in a while. And I should mention some of the other recent releases includes it, Comics Dementia, the new collection from Fantagraphics, and uh, Twilight Children from Vertigo, which you did with Darwin Cook, and uh, of course Love and Rockets New Stories, uh, book eight, um, presenting new works in that Love and Rockets universe, as well as a multitude of other things, uh, Bumper Head and Marvel Season for Drawing Quarterly, and uh, let's see, Julio's Day, Children of Palomar, Speak the Devil. I could probably just spend half an hour listing off titles and that won't excite people, so I just recommend taking a look online. All right. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Gilbert, for joining me today. 
Sure, I'm glad to be here. Now, uh, we were just talking a second ago um, before we started about how I know you've been interviewed lots, and I was trying to think, like, how to start out um, the interview. And one of the things I wanted to think about or talk about, which is kind of going way, way, way back, um, but I still feel like it kind of regurgitates, not regurgitates, but brings up in your work now, um, is your punk rock history and kind of how that changed you um, getting into punk music and kind of opened up your eyes to more things? Well, I've always been an honorary bastard, you know, difficult to get along with. And, uh, and you know, I was a you know rock, rock and roll fan, and I gravitated toward the bands that were a little uh, dirtier. I mean, let's say uh, like the New York Dolls and Nagy and the Stooges and, you know, even the glam rock. You know, this one I was a teen, like you know, T-Rex and stuff. Even though it's pop music, it still had something else going on that was u- on the usual, you know, FM stations, you know, like the Eagles and Journey and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, I like some of that, you know, mainstream stuff, but I, I always gravitated toward the, 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 the uh, more of the outcast type, you know, rock. So uh, when punk came around, I was around 20-ish, 21, uh, in the late 70s, you know, I heard the Ramones, I liked them, but I thought it was just like, sort of like, okay, that's, that's the Ramones, it'll go away. And then there was Patti Smith, and there was all these, the early bands, you know, and I just thought it was going to go away. And then the Sex Pistols came out, and it, they were literally on the news, <laughs> you know, um, almost every day. And that, that was like, whoa, well, this is big, you know, and I investigated, and I liked the record, and then I, you know, just started listening to more. So I really got into punk, and I liked how it completely rejected uh, and just literally spit at what I'd had to, I'd gone through as a teenager. Like, most people didn't like the kind of music I liked, didn't like my attitude, didn't like, you know, the way I dressed. Didn't just, I just rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, which was bad at the time because you're trying to fit in and, you know, to get along. But but later with punk, it was like, you don't have to get along. You don't have to. You, you, you know, and if you you won't get along with those people anymore, but you'll get along with other people, new people. Mm-hmm. And I was good with that. I was really good with that. So, I, you know, I did, you know, it was a slow process, but I finally just uh, pretty much put my high school past behind me and, and just got really involved in punk. And since I'd already been into comics, you know, I, I was in a couple of bands you know, with my brother Jaime, and it, it was okay, but it was just there was just too much compromises. There was just too many uh, drunk drummers, too many, you know, too many. <laughs> that, too many it's always the drummer. Yeah, drunk drummers. Drummers won't play the same song, uh, play the same way, uh, the song twice. You know, uh, you know things like that. Uh, singers that were egos were up to the roof, and you know that kind of thing. Because uh, you know, we come from a small town, Oxnard in California, and. Uh, so anybody that did anything thought they were the greatest thing ever, you know. So anyway, so we just had uh, trouble that way, and it just it just didn't connect. I mean, I liked playing this and that, but uh, you know, I was drawing comics for myself at the time, and it, it, we just decided to put things together, you know, with uh, you know, like let's 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 make a comic book, you know, because we'd had enough uh, training as in just drawing our own comics for years. So we put that instead of making music, we put what we're into about punk and the music into our comics. Now, I didn't do it directly. Jaime did it directly. He just, you know, started doing the punk girls and all in the scene. And he just basically, you know, put in what he, he knew, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just, we didn't want to, you know, just repeat what was going on in the regular comics. So anyway, uh, and so I went more toward, let's say, uh, what the, uh, a 
a, a band like The Clash was doing. Instead of just being snotty and yeah, an upstart, you know, they, they wanted to say something, you know, how, however limited they wanted to say something. And I did too. I thought, well, I want to be myself, but I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to be, you know, of course I turned out to be aggressive, but I didn't wasn't looking to shock or anything. So that's why I came up with Palomar. So it was sort of, even though it doesn't feel like punk <laughs> or probably read like it, um, it uh, that's, that's, that's what came out of that. The, like, like, I mean, nobody asked me to do Palomar. Nobody was looking for that. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, having been into punk and stuff, like, it didn't matter what people, other people wanted. You know, I knew if I did something like that, there would be a few people who liked it. There would be a few people like me, <laughs> you know. So uh, so that so that worked out, and, you know, and then things evolved from there. But it was really a lot, lot to do with punk. A lot to just do it. Just don't care what people think. Just, you know, be, be, be honest, be yourself, and be arrogant in interviews. <laughs> uh, you have yet to do that yet. Um, now, and that one of the reasons I was thinking about that is Blubber seems to be that same kind of uncompromising, uh, s- straightforward, just in your faceness that has that little bit of like that punk aesthetic of just like I don't care what you think. This is what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah, I just didn't want. I wasn't the type though to wear the costume the way people do now. Is like what I mean by the costume is that. I, you just see it in so much entertainment now because you know punk has evolved and spread out into all forms of entertainment. And mm-hmm. what you got on TV shows now is just when it's about young people, they're just snarky a holes. Mm-hmm. You know, and movies are about snarky a holes and stuff. And I'm thinking they're just wearing the punk costume. They're just being punk. Uh, to them, it just means you're the last person to say asshole. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's what it's become. At least with the mainstream and the indie films and things like that. And that's, I guess, for me, that's kind of the downside. I go, well, it's, you know, it's more about that. It's actually about build, building and, you know, and being honest and really going for it, you know, despite the odds, that kind of thing, uh, you know, DIY. And uh, But it just seems to, at least in some areas, settle down into who's a bigger asshole. And who could win the asshole argument, you know? <laughs> now, um, in the prep for this interview, I was uh, texting with, mutual friend Frankie Santoro uh-huh. and he said to ask about Charlton and then said something about Charlton comics uh, like Blubber being your version and I was really confused <laughs> by that and I probably should have needled Frankie for more of why he thinks that and I'm wondering Charlton if... comics? Yeah, like... About, like the company Charlton he's talking about? I don't know <laughs> Okay. Well see Char- Mar- Charlton was the poor man's uh, okay you had Marvel DC and maybe some offshoots here and there, you know, successful yeah. ones. Like, you know, uh, what was left of Fawcett Comics in the 40s was just Dennis the Menace Comics. They did one comic book, you know. Uh, so they were just, and Archie was is, was right up there with uh, Marvel and DC, still are. I mean, they're the only comics you can buy in the supermarket, you know. Um, uh, but uh, there was, like, there was a, the fourth company, and they're called Charlton. They're from the Midwest somewhere. I'm not sure where they're from. And they were pretty much the, just the poor man's comic book of any. If you didn't have any comics to buy, you bought Charlton comics, mm-hmm. you know. And what I liked about Charlton comics is because they were like that. They were printed on shitty paper. They were just printed poorly. But they had their own, you know, cheeseball charm, you know. Yeah. And the only reason they existed and kept around is because the company, the basic company was a, had a printing press. And yeah. They could print their own comics, you know. And the covers were, colors were off, but they had some good artists on there, and they had some decent writing in some comics because they had nothing to lose, you know. <laughs> they, 
they just sort of imitated Marvel and DC their own way, and they came up with some interesting, odd, good, crappy comics, if there's such a thing. You know, well, actually, we know there's such a thing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they it was actually cheaper for them to to publish because that meant they kept the printers going, right? Than right. to not. Only the only sad <laughs> thing about it is like too bad they didn't just. Oh, and also the pay rate was so bad they didn't attract really yeah. good writers. You know, they they had uh, decent writers. They they did have decent writers and good artists like Ditko and Pat Boyette and people like that, but. Uh, it just didn't. It just they could they could have been a they could have been a contender. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they were just making comics, and if somebody just showed up with talent, <laughs> you know, well, extra talent, you know, unique talent that they just didn't say no to. An example is this: there's this uh, one of my favorite comics of all time is a Charlton comic, and it was basically a comic. It was a comic called Charlton Premiere, where they had you know different kinds of stories in each issue, different artists and writers. And the second issue basically was supposed to be about. Uh, by by somebody else. I don't know. Somebody was going to do a comic, and it fell through. They literally had a comic they had to put out in in, in less than two weeks. So they 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 called up Denny O'Neill, who was a writer for them, and then uh, an artist from Texas named Pat Boyette, and they put out this science fiction story, which is like really fast. I mean, as fast as they could do it. And Marvel and DC couldn't couldn't do this sort of thing because everything was studied there. You know, they, they had the formulas and they had. Uh, and this was just this science fiction story that I think stands as this whack, sort of a blubber story without the sex, you know? This is so whacked out uh, story that, anyway, so that that was the potential there for me. Oh, I thought, wow, wow, that company could have been something, but it just, you know, it just never, they never rose above third rate, you know? Yeah. Second, second rate, I guess. But I still like the comics. I, I still have Charlton comics. There's something amazingly aesthetically pleasing to me about the printing quality on Charlton, where uh-huh. you can see, like, how they cut the the comics is just you can tell it's like the end of the roll of the paper, so it's <laughs> yeah. got all that crinkle at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they would just. I mean, who? You can't even conceive of a comic called The Black Mask or something. It was a western with a guy with a wearing a. a, a I guess he, he would have got sued if he was like looked too much like the Lone Ranger, so they made the mask cover his entire head, you know. And you can't even conceive of a comic book on the racks. You know, in the stores like that, being a seller, like being having several issues, you know. That's kind of what I miss about the old days when I was growing up. You just had weird crap out there. Middle-aged men who had no idea how to be cool, you know. Now there's so much irony and, and, and attention to coolness because everybody's happy. Everybody's, you know, self-aware. In those days, it was like, I don't know, kids like the Lone Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this, you know. I think we can all agree if there's anything Ditko cared about the least was being cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I do like my Charlton comics. That's interesting that Frank would bring that up. I guess we discussed it once. I forgot. Probably. Yeah. He, he's got a good memory for these things, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, is your approach to Blubber kind of, like, is there an immediacy to it when you're doing it? Just to, like, crank it out and just, like, let your brain go wherever... Yeah, it's just it. like it's just like slamming a hammer on your nuts. You know what I mean? It's like, why would you do that? Well, let's see what happens. You know that kind of thing. You know, um, <laughs> it it's just because. Uh, well, I, you know, I'm always looking at old stuff. So, uh, in, you know, in recent years, we've had you know Johnny Ryan and Benjamin Mara and Josh Simmons, people like that who do scary, crazy, oh my god, lock these guys up type comics. You know? Yeah. And but they just come and go, and they don't really have that strong a name 
you know, the way that underground cartoonists did back in the day, like, say, S. Clay Wilson and Robert Williams, they were doing some absolutely bonkers, crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, those books were popular back then. And I'm thinking, you know, I was just thinking that, wow, there really isn't a regular comics coming out by uh, cartoonists with names, big names. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not, I'm not saying they're safe, but they're pretty controlled in where they want to go. And it's yeah. a lot of it, it's, there's less just immediate, like you said, immediacy of just madness and just rude and, and are you kidding me? You know, that type of thing. So I just figured I, I, I've done so many comics now that I just thought there was room for just, you know, like I said, smashing your nuts with a hammer. You know, it's like just, uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of a jackass comic, you know, <laughs> now yeah. that I think of it, you know. Um, but I just wanted to use, yeah, because it, it was really influenced by S. Clay Wilson and the hard underground artists that were just like, they didn't care, and the comics were popular, you know? Yeah. And now now it's just, like I said, it's very controlled now, which is not bad because you, you're getting a lot of people, serious-minded people putting out stuff, and that's good. But I just like once in a while to go to, you know, look at a comic book. I, do, I make comic books, like, because uh, of the ones that are missing at the store, you know? Mm. Go to the store, water, water everywhere, and you might buy one comic. Yeah. Know? Or a collection with reprints or something, you know that's fine. But I, I, you know, I just what happened to the crazy people? You know what happened to crazy weird shit? Charlton Comics, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 an unfortunate byproduct of this newer comics institutionalism where you're working towards your graphic novel. Yeah. Like I think if there's like a young Dan Klaus now, uh -huh. not that Dan would do the same thing, but someone who would be like that would be uh -huh. forced into doing graphic novel. But Dan still did Needle Dick the Bug Fucker. Yeah, right. You know. Well, it's been it's been like uh, like ten, maybe five to ten years now, where there was just if you wanted to be taken seriously, if you wanted to be a cartoonist with a name, you had to do a graphic novel. Well, that not not a lot of cartoonists are cut out for that. A lot of them are good at short stories, you know, or shorter comics or whatever. And the pamphlets were going away. And you know, it was, okay, do a graphic novel. Oh, this guy's great. See this eight page, eight page story he did? Yeah. Well. Do a graphic novel, and I never heard of them again. You know, because it's just too—it's too daunting, and I'm sick of them myself. I've done too many of them. <laughs> That's why we've gone back. Jaime and I have gone back to doing the pamphlets with Love and Rockets. It's more media; it comes out more often. Uh, you know, uh, it's just—I don't know. We just miss comic books. So, uh. and it was quite a long time before you actually did a graphic novel, quote unquote, like a book. I think was Sloth the first one. Yes, Sloth was the first official one where it wasn't a collection. It was just mm -hmm. a straightforward story. And that was, yeah, that was for, uh, you know, for Vertigo and DC Comics. And uh, the editor I was working with, Shelley Bond, uh, was a real help because I had never done anything like that. And she's used to just being an editor to, you know, to, to corral all these ideas and get them moving. Because, you know, when you're at uh, DC Vertigo, you know, their main interest is, is getting the book out. Yeah, and that's it's not so much with indie comics, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you get it out when it's done, but they've got schedules, they've got printing printers to talk to, they've got you know uh, promotion that you got to do, and so they're really concerned about you gonna get this out at a certain period. You know, they don't force you, but they they want that, and so and, and I kind of like that for myself. I've never been disciplined, you know. I'd never so sloth as simple as it reads, it was pretty difficult to do because it was my first one. Now, the majority, I feel so weird using the term graphic novel in some contexts, but the majority of yours have been the uh, Fritz movies, uh -huh. which really kind of interests me, too, as a way of like how you're kind of exercising your brain 
and and your character's universe in different ways and i'm wondering kind of how that came about of creating this whole line of books that were just so they're in one way integral to the to the central narrative in palomar but also like ephemeral in a way too well, I, I hadn't done uh, original graphic novels when I came up with the idea for the Fritz books. Um, originally, the Fritz stories were basically going to be uh, an issue of a comic, you know, just one issue of a comic. But Love and Rockets, is, they're, they're, at the time, was, it, was a, it was still a pamphlet, and it, there wasn't a lot of room to do everything. You know, I had to concentrate on what was most important for Palomar, and that was the characterization of the, you know, original characters and that sort of thing. And whenever I tried to do a different type of story, it would start out six pages an issue and end up one page an issue. And that just wasn't working, you know. So I, I, was, I had a hankering for doing graphic novels, but I didn't want to go real, I didn't have anything serious to say at the time. just didn't, wasn't really into that. I was more into like doing surreal, even like I said, crime fiction type things, you know. Um, but that didn't work as a graphic novel either. So I combined the ideas of, you know, efforts being in movies and, uh, doing graphic novels and just kind of do everything in that, and, you know, decided to create a career path for the character and use graphic novels. Uh, it and I don't know, it was sort of naive when I did it. I just threw myself <laughs> into it, but I kind of like. I mean, but I still like them. Uh, but if you'll notice, those those come out the slowest compared to Bumperhead and <laughs> Marvel Season and that because there's, it's really difficult. Those I'm not really sure if there's a. a, a enough of an audience for those types of books. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody, nobody is looking for crime novels from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, uh, from you know, Love and Rockets readers or, or fans of indie comics, you know, they're looking for more personal uh, reflections. But um, as far as I, you know, I can tell. Um, so, you know, doing the, the crime stuff, I'm just, well, I'll just make it separate. Like, you can read the books as just look, uh, crime fan, or novel fans can read them as that and not you know have to worry about Fritz being connected to Palomar. Yeah, but for me it's all the same. It, it's they're connected, you know, and they kind of reflect Fritz's personality because the character. Uh, I've said this in other interviews. She's the one character. The reason I'm using her so much now. She's the one character I created probably before any of my other characters in Palomar. Oh really? I, I just yeah. I just never had a character for her, a personality for her. But somehow I liked her floating around in stories. You know, almost in a visual. I just like how she just sort of floated around, and we didn't know who she was. That's that's how she worked out at first. So I put the character aside and used her in Love and Rockets a couple of times. And so when it came to doing Birdland, I just grabbed a bunch of characters I hadn't used that I created, you know, years ago. And I just stuck in that. And but once the thing is, once I get into a character, no matter what context, I want to do more. I want to, you know do their life story, basically. And she's the one that was the most mysterious to me. She has a, she has an unusual look to her. She's, uh, I mean, comparatively uh, to my, the other way I draw, you know, how I otherwise draw. And so she came, became more realistic visually. I mean, you know, we can talk about her body and all that stuff, but just her basic look and the way she dealt with, dealt with situations and stories interested me to, to write about, yet I never got to who she was. So anyway, anyway, uh, uh, the, the Fritz graphic novels became a place for me to, for the character to develop who she is through through her stories. So she's the type of person who you find out who she is through that character she plays, but you can never know who she is as a real person, as in the stories. Okay, enough. 
<laughs> See what I mean by talking so much? <laughs> no, it's it's great. I mean, I'm um, one of the things when like when I prep for an interview like this and read like a whole lot of work at once, you kind of see a lot of the threads that are connecting through a multitude of works they wouldn't necessarily see if you've been reading the works over you know the time span of like the seven years okay. since some of these came out. And so I was really excited by seeing how with Maria M had come out and like how that's kind of folding into the storyline right now with Killer oh, and, right. yeah. uh -huh. and seeing how these intersections are going to come out. And so it's it, it's interesting how like as big as you make this this world, this Palomar world, you keep making it bigger. Yeah, as 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 in the women's breasts. That, that's another story. Um, the uh, the th interesting thing about okay, this goes back to uh, uh, Love and Rockets being. It's always been considered a, a, a soap opera. You know, somebody you know they, they usually want to use that handle. Oh, it's like a soap opera because not just because of the romantic angle, which really isn't so much there in these days, but because it's got all the intricacies and what's going to happen next type. Situ you know, uh, uh, things in it like a soap opera. And I think that's why people say, oh, it's like a soap opera. The concerns are about uh, uh, people in love or not in love. And there's all these detailed, you know, uh, stuff about people's emotions and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, which is weird about the soap opera tag is that, but people say soap opera when they don't like something. Yeah. So why are they applying that to a comic they like? So it's kind of weird, you know. So they go, well, that's like a soap opera. Oh, then you don't like it, <laughs> you know. So, so I figured out if if people say it's a soap opera, they don't like it. They say if it's a if it's the exact same thing, but they call it a series, it, it's okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so funny when people at comics use as as a derogatory too. It's like, okay, so this action comic where yeah, guys exactly. just shoot each other with laser beams that come out of their hands for twenty pages. That's okay. That's okay, mm -hmm. but the the feelings and emotions—that's just a little too far. That's that's a little, uh, yeah. And and sometimes I read back in the old, uh, you know, the old Palmar stories just for refer referencing my own stuff, and I go, oh, I, I can see what they mean. Yet, you know, um, I I don't like the, the soap opera tag only because if you watch a soap opera, it's not really about anything but the emotions of characters. It's basically yeah. the feelings of the characters about what's going on. Okay. Yeah. I just think there, there, for me, it's just there's more going on in the Love and Rockets stories, Palomar stories, Hymas stories, that are, than than a soap opera. It just reads like one. You know what I mean? That's the that's just sort of you know. Anyway, so big deal. I mean, soap <laughs> well, I mean, it's the it's 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 reductive. Uh -huh. um, yeah, that's probably people what are lazy. Like <laughs> it's, it's an easy tag, you know. It's also like the the great you know, quote-unquote American novel in a way that's unfinished, um, which is one of the exciting things for me. It's um, where you could have been done Palomar a long time ago. Like, okay, I've told this story, and it's kind of done. Uh, yeah. But it keeps evolving and changes places or goes back. And um, it's just, like, I don't know the ending. I don't know if there is an ending. Do you see, do you have a long-term plan in mind? Um, well, I'm, I'm always ending it. Every 10 years I end it, and then I end up using it again, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it's just because it's just, it, it's so much of uh, of me, you know, when I, you know, developed Palmar and, and really got into it those, those several years. I, I mean, I'm not going to do anything else, you know what I mean? So everything else is going to be a 
anything, I, I think anyway, satisfying to me, it's going to be attached to it somehow. Yeah. It doesn't mean it has to be in Palomar or, or, or the actual characters, but it's just a, some kind of link to it gives me juice to keep to, to, uh, to fire up the engine and, and do new stories. That's how it works for me. Same thing with Hyman. He's going to continue doing Maggie and Hopi, or at least the Hopper's world, because you know he developed it at a point in his life where this is his ultimate uh, you know story, mm-hmm. and so he's going to continue doing it you know and, and, and moving it along. He keeps he keeps it more in the same neighborhood than I do, but it's the same thing. I want to you know I, I just it just works for me. You know if I attach there's some kind of link to Palomar and the characters, even if you know it's I've gone really far away from it now as big as a palomar story is how well do you have it all in your head are there points where like you you do something that's like contrary to previous stuff and someone will have to correct you on it or is it all very tight it's uh, it's not that tight the timelines <laughs> don't never you know they put a timeline in that lone rocket's companion which I, I i said sure go ahead and do it but it's all whacked out i mean there's it's you know some characters should be 80 years old now. Some characters should still be 14. You know, it's a, it's just so, uh, you know, uh, confused. So I don't, I don't, I try to keep it, try to keep it coherent. But it, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's just so imperfect. So I don't worry about that too much. It could backfire me sometimes in some stories. Like, oh, I can't do this flashback because this person would be two years old, you know. <laughs> and then I need, I need, need a conversation between these two characters, you know. So, you know, sometimes there, there's, uh, there's that. So, um, it's, it's no, it's not tight. Um, it's, it's just more of a, a feel as I'm going, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. But I, but I do have to reference, reference myself all the time, just because I've literally forgotten. Like, oh, did she say this, or did this happen, or is this, you know, is this something that did happen in the story, or just something, something that somebody said happened in that story? So I got to go back and find it sometimes. I have uh, friends that are doing a sci-fi comic, and they've gone about I guess, thirty issues, and they we had to get in, they had to get another friend to sum up the story because they had no idea what they were doing at one point and how the characters were related, like. Is this making sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've got a really super busy mind. I mean, I, I do have too many characters. A lot of them overlap, and I try to minimize that now, but they just seem to keep piling up on each other. <laughs> now, um, Julio's Day, in this context, is really interesting because it provides such a neat uh, overview of Palomar in a weird way where you see so much of it in those brief vignettes um and I'm, I'm interested in how that story came out for you or kind of the development of it because i i saw parts of it in 11 rocket stories um but it seems like julio's day is more the flushed out yeah julio's day was meant to be a graphic novel or graphic collection it was meant to be you know 100 pages about 100 years in a man's life you know i planned it that way but i always leave it open-ended i mean yeah I, that was my rigid structure, 100 pages, 100 years in a man's life, from mm-hmm. birth to death, just sort of as a gimmick to myself, just just to propel the story. Uh, once I know, give, have that little bit going on, um, then the story just tells itself. Uh, it went a little too far into the surreal uh, aspects that uh, I wasn't so crazy about when it was done, but it, it, it still works as a story. But um, I tried to make a story that didn't really rely on surreal yeah aspects yet 
the surreal aspects are really intense in there. <laughs> you talking about the the blue worms? Yeah, I made up the blue worms, kind of like like Palomar slugs, you know, except the blue worms inflated the sky. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of artistic license there. I mean, the, the guy the guy couldn't wear his clothes anymore if he got that fat. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I tend to exaggerate things, so I was still coming off that kind of exaggeration, mm-hmm. trying to do a serious story. That's why. Um, I, I know, I, I like the story, I like the message, I like what it's about. I, I am actually pretty happy how it turned out, you know, considering. Um, but it took a long time, because remember, it was in just little chapters in Love and Rockets, and, but I kept focusing, I kept saying, this has got to it's got to come together. So when I came to doing Marble Season, my next graphic novel, I really pushed myself into not making it surreal, mm-hmm. you know, just taking that all out. And I realized how much of a crutch that, crutch that is for me. Uh, so it was hard to just come up with stuff in it. So that's why I, I, I went back to my childhood as much as I could and pillaged as much as I could from it to fill up the story, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that might be, as far as uh, graphic novels go, uh, that might be my satisfied work that I'm satisfied with. Really? Yeah, Marvel season. Even though it's a little alienating for young people because I'm referring to specifics of my childhood at the past, you know, TV shows and comics and that kind of thing. But that one, I think, came together the best. Um, so far, I don't know. Yeah. And, and of the Fritz books, I think uh, The Troublemakers, the second book I did, it comes together best as a story um, so far. Now, I'm, I'm really fascinated because um, it sounds to me like you kind of view the metaphysical metaphysical, surreal stuff as a crutch in a way. In a way, because um, it's easy to shock. Look at Blubber. First two issues. Mega hit. Yeah. You know, Oscar contenders. You know what I mean? No, what I'm just what I'm just saying is all I had to do was that and people yeah. are really happy. You know, it's real simple stuff. Uh, you know, uh, just get as crazy, gross, and stupid as you can yet bring it together in a story that isn't really that when you really look at blubber, it's not that nasty. It's just that animals treat each other, one another that way. I think there's yeah. some nasty parts. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm nasty, but I don't, I, I don't know. The part where the the thing breaks off and starts burning a hole inside his butt—that's that, a little nasty, Gilbert. Well, that's only because they were abusing zombies. See, and there's no zombie support groups. So, so, so they got what was coming to them. Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. Uh, but it's more like in the sense of, like, it's just so ridiculous, we're not going to worry about, you know, support yeah. groups and hurting people's feelings. That, that's what I guess I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> just for the but, record, I do love Blubber. I, oh, I was, I was howling me. with laughter. That, that's really what it is. It's a humor book, and I figured, I, I don't know how to be funny other than be really, really stupid. You know, <laughs> and take my time to telling those stories. You know, to, 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 you know, but one of the things I was thinking about with your uh, surrealness is, I mean, one one part you have the gross out monster thing, and I think Comics Dementia has a fair amount of that too. Uh-huh. And it, it's actually like kind of a good timing to come out at the same time as Blubber because it's there's some crossover there. But when I also think of your surreal stuff, I'm also thinking of like in Children of Palomar, where there's things that, like, more subtle um, emotional representations mm-hmm. of things, where you'll have, like, flying babies um, that kind of mean a whole bunch of other things. Um, 
that isn't a Grosso thing. It's not a, to me, it doesn't seem like a crutch. It means just more like it's like a metaphor stamp. Yeah, um, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the story. Uh, like, I wasn't trying to be crazy weird in uh, one of my early Palomar stories called Human Diastrophism, where I have this giant book flying through the air in, in the story, and then it hits Luba in the head. And, you know, that, that's surreal, but it belongs in the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not really there for shock value or, or big, big laughs. You know, because Luba, I'm just trying to make a funny comic. Just so stupid that it's so fun, it's funny. Laugh out loud, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but what I mean, I guess what I mean by crutch is that sometimes uh, I'll be telling something that I think is serious and going a long way, and then something weird happens, and, I, and it kind of cheapens, mm-hmm. you know, where, where I was originally going. But it is just, I have to tell you, it's so easy for me to do something surreal or shocking in, mm-hmm. in stories. I'm always pulling back as much as I can, because it's very easy for me, just because I have that goofy imagination. <laughs> Do you find with Twilight Children, because um, I'm presuming uh, there's a lot more uh, editorial input um, in it, and that kind of guides you from getting too goofy surreal with the representations oh. in that story? Well, like actually, the, the, actually, there wasn't that very little uh, editorial oh, okay. input. Yeah, I mean, there was discussions where this is going, what does this mean, that kind of thing, but there wasn't any, this is getting weird, when are you going to explain this? There was none of that. Um, I just was, when, when I got the job, I, I had looked at Darwin Cook's, you know, his comics, and I and I saw right away, I go, well, this guy doesn't need me, he makes his own comics. He knows how to tell a story. So this was a luxury for me. All I had to do was tell a simple science fiction story, because we are, you know, dealing with DC Vertigo, and you, there's got to be something outside of you know, daily life <laughs> happening. So I just came up with this surreal element and I made it, but I, I, I decided to go simple and direct and not too not too outrageous. Fantastic, yes, but not in your face whacked out, you know, mm-hmm. like, I normal, like I normally do. And I knew that if I pulled back that, that Darwin will fill, fill in the rest. And he did. And I, think, and I think it worked out pretty well. I think I probably backed off a little bit too much. I should have made it a little more intense, for me anyway, you know, uh, story-wise, but uh, what he did is he put himself into it, which, you know, I trust he would, and he did, and it just came out great. Um, I don't know if I'm, I have another book that of that type in me, but we'll see, you know, because it's so soon after, you know, finishing it that I'm not really sure I know how to do another story like that that would be different from, you know, uh, Twilight Children. A lot of the stories I do, I do, I, I can't think of doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you know, whole different, in whole cloth, you know, like a whole different story. I don't know. Now, that's, it, correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's one of the few times where you actually wrote for someone else. And I seem to see, like, more times where someone else is writing for you. Yeah, um, this, this, okay, this, uh, I did a, a, a actually, a superhero comic, but, several years ago called Birds oh, of Prey. Yes. It had actual DC characters and stuff. And that was that was a learning experience too because you can't mess with the characters. You can't change them. You can't yeah. do anything with them, you know? So I did I, I so I was left with not changing them, not doing you know. So I just tried to make a simple adventure comic and I that is uh, probably one of my least favorite jobs. Not because it was the material or anything else, just that I, I didn't live up to what I always thought I could do was a good superhero comic. It, mu- it must have been weird experience, though. 
It was. It was, because well, I had to do it really fast, because, you know, once again, you're at D.C., they want that stuff out there, you know? Yeah. So, so, and if you come up with an idea that they say, no, we already did that, then you're screwed. you got to start over from scratch. At least for me, as a writer, so, uh, and, and they gave me, and, and the artist they, uh, they, they hooked me up with was a young guy that they were trying out, and he's around now, a guy named Casey Jones, and they really blamed him for the comic not doing well, and it really wasn't his fault. It was my writing. I really blame myself. I just didn't, you know, I'm pretty, I was pretty, you know, puffed up, you know, going, well, a superhero comic, anybody could write this shit. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Not anybody can. I mean, and, and have uh, people like it, you know, be uh, collecting, you know, superhero comics and say, oh, this is a great comic with a different, you know, angle. I don't know. It's just pretty boring to them, I think. I, I just didn't, uh, I just didn't, uh, I just learned my lesson. I'm not good at that shit. Unless it's my own characters, you know? Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't, it seems so institutional of a comic. Mm -hmm. Or like, because it was like in the issue 60 or something in the series. I can't remember. Yeah. It was a while ago, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't seem like the right fit. Yeah, and then I did the Wonder Woman story last year, and that was just simple. I had 20 pages to do Wonder Woman story, keep it clean, and just have Wonder Woman be Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, I just simplified it the way I would do my, if I had my own Wonder Woman, I would, you know, do it this way. Uh, and I, I just, but it was more of a nostalgia thing for me because I have nothing to say about Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. as, as a story, as a, as a writer, I don't. I mean, I like the character and all that stuff, but so it was just my chance to use Supergirl, Mary Marvel, and, and uh, Wonder Woman because there's this weird selective fantasy in superhero comics. It's like there's a lot of people without superpowers and yet there's these super beings that could just wipe them off <laughs> into the page in one second, you know? Yeah. But you have there's this balance. You, you, the characters are licensed, so you need to use them. So it was just kind of weird that I thought, well, I'll put three most powerful female characters, DC, you know, classic characters that DC came up with. And uh, since I only had 20 pages, I, I, I kept it a limited thing. I just had them, you know, cat fight, the yeah. three women fighting each other. But originally, my concept was that they were going to go out and really fucking roll up their sleeves and whoop villainy you know three of them they were going to like throw down they were going to be chucking cars that you know they were going to really be and almost be a menace like people are scared of them and one woman had to rein in the two girls because they're 15 mary marvel and uh supergirl are 15 and they were getting carried away with their with their you know <laughs> with their uh their powers because uh, they figured that one woman would let them and one woman had to rein them in and anyway the story became i couldn't do that because it, that, that would require a lot more you know, a lot more pages, a lot more issues, and whatever. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I kept that in mind. But um, so I just stripped it down. But so it's really hard for me to do 20 pages of a superhero comic uh, and and make it new and make it exciting for the readers of superhero comics. But you haven't really explored superheroes in your own stuff, which is interesting because uh, Jaime has with, mm -hmm. with some of his stories, especially with. Um, Oh God! Why can't I remember her name right now? Oh, someone will yell at me for uh, Penny Century with the Penny Century right. stuff. Um, but you kind of stuck right away from that. It seems mm -hmm. things. Well, because I don't know, I don't, uh, they're a great visual. Yeah. I mean, we like to draw costumes and <laughs> them flying and then that kind of stuff. But women uh, in tight outfits and stuff. 
Yeah, and, and just I did, because we grew up, you know, reading comic books, too, and, and I have a, a thing that I like, you know, looking at old superhero costumes, you know, how they, they've got mis- mismatched colors and that kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Now they're, like, really cool and slick and Wolverine, that kind of thing, but uh, the old days they were, like, really goofy. Like, they were just costumes that were, you know, that did, probably wouldn't work in real life. Well, neither would superheroes, but that's another story. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just I haven't. I don't have anything really to say other than a visual or a gag. Yeah. You know, people always come up to go, I'm very critical about superheroes. Uh, well, you've done superheroes. I go, oh, because superheroes are the pinnacle, and I'm just lucky enough to do them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, they're just junk that you can use. You know, it's a junk box. Like, hey, I can use this screwdriver. <laughs> you know. They're stand-ins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can use them because they're goofy, and people know what superheroes are now. Now the world knows what they are because of the movies, but. It's sort of like, yeah, they're just a goof. They're just for fun, you know? That's the thing. You, fun is a bad word in the, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially now. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, we talked a little bit about the, the surreal mysticism, and I'm wondering about your own interest of where that came from uh, in bringing that into your work. Um, like, were there particular books or movies, B-movies, that kind of had this kind of thing? Um, that you're like, this is awesome. I want to play with this. Well, yeah, my mind's my mind's a, a junk store. You know, uh, it yeah. just, I just I just pull it out because I do have, like I said, I had an affection for old superhero comics growing up, old B movies, monster movies as a kid, and I tried to push that back uh, with Palomar as much as I could. I mean, it's in there, but I wanted to tell a different kind of story away from that. But it keep kept creep, kept creeping in. Now that I'm an old fogey, I can't fight it anymore i just i'm just embracing it now and using it you know especially the b-movie stuff you know i can still watch um a 1950s movie black and white in the crappy monster movie that everybody else going why are you watching that (laughs) i don't know it still entertains me it's still uh I, i guess it takes me back uh you know when i watch something like that it takes me back to where it, the, the movies like that were a mystery when you're a little kid. Yeah. Like, like, they're really low budget and tacky, but you're not really sure why it's bothering you, though. Yeah. <laughs> because little kids are bothered by the, the weirdness of it. it. It does, it you know, the cheap-looking monster with, you know, really bad makeup and, you know, eyeball popping out his head. Or it's almost like something you could make, but it's yeah. up there on the TV. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's up there, and so you figure, like, well, adults are, are putting these out, so it must be serious. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was all, you know, I didn't know about the cynical background. Like, they're just you know, getting those things out for the drive-ins, you know, and, you know, and people getting ripped off at the end. Like, that's the monster, you know? I didn't know that. I just thought, well, they're telling you a story about this crazy shit, you know? <laughs> and so that stuck, that stuck with me. That stuck with me, that, though. So I never really outgrew being fascinated by that was in a theater. <laughs> you know, people went to the movies to see that. And that's really hard to conceive of now because it's so hard to get a movie into theaters now. Yeah. You know? Especially even any drive-ins existing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just like doing uh, comics like that with that sort of angle. Just yeah. Try to bring back that weird eeriness you feel weird. Uh, and, and I think I've accomplished that sometimes. Sometimes I'll put that weirdness in my stories that aren't so overtly 
uh, visually like those old movies, but they'll have that same tone or that feel. And people do tell me, they go, man, that story creeped me out. I don't know why. <laughs> I go, well, because I'm six years old. Well, <laughs> you know, I want you to feel like I did when I was six. At the same time, you're doing these weird, creepy, and you're having fun, but you also have work that is heartbreaking in a way. Um, Julio's Day, I, I found particularly so. Um, seeing a character have to be closeted, um, living that life. And, and I'm interested in, like, you've got the, this balance in your head where you're like, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of weird alien monsters sucking each other off, and then I'm going to do this really heartbreaking story about a man having to hide who he is for his whole life and take care of his mother and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, that's, that's when I go into uh, uh, the other part of my childhood. You know, I click into the reality of... You know, being a kid, and there was, and, the, and there was like, an old people were part of your life. Mm -hmm. Now people separate the old people from their lives. You know, yeah. uh, they, they were part of your life. They were part of, uh, you know, grandmas and grandpas and uncles, and you know, they were they were part of your life. It was all a, a family thing, or, or even just neighbors and stuff, and teachers. Teachers. Uh, when I grew up, um, teachers were little old ladies. You know, so that was normal to me. Uh, so I can go into that mode when I tell a story like Julio's Day. I think about this is what what it was like for me away from the monster movies and comic books. This is what it was like for me, you know, and uh, and so that that that'll creep in the stories. I'll have old people. I'll have uh, you know. I'll just I'll think about and then then I'll you know I'll start thinking about people's lives and wasted lives and, and misused lives and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, try like I said, I try to move away from the, the comics and the. Uh, you know, the monster movies and stuff, even though they have been great comic books that influenced me, that had those things in it, and they're very influential to me. The two in particular uh, would be uh, Little Archie comics from the from the 60s. Uh, really interestingly enough, uh, really inspired me to do stories about peop uh, young people who reflect on what's going on. Mm -hmm. that are thoughtful and had feelings about what's going on. That was that. And then later on, uh, with Robert, some of Robert Crumb's stuff, and in particular, uh, the early issues of American Splendor, they, they really uh, talk about those types of things and really, you know, really get, can be really moving in, in, in a lot of ways. So that, that was something I glommed on to, to tell Julio's Day-type stories and, and some of the Palomar stories. And visually, I feel like Julio's day is drawn a lot differently than a lot of the other work, too. Well, I, I just draw, I just, you know, it's just instinct. I go, well, this is this story, so it should look like this. Yeah. You know, I don't plan it. It just comes out as I'm doing it. It's weird. It's, uh, there, I'm just, it's interesting noticing different subtleties in how you approach things. Like Julio's very dark, very thick blacks. Um, Children of Palomar, I was really struck. One thing I was wondering about is if you're drawing the faces first before you drew the rest of the things I was struck. It's all about the faces in that book and how the bodies all kind of move around, these heads and things. Hmm. And then I, you know what? It's really something I don't think about until somebody brings it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just from just being bombarded so much that I've bombarded myself, actually, from you know certain comics, certain movies, certain, you know... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about the past. I'm always thinking about how I felt growing up, mm -hmm. and, and 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 how people t 
people told me how they felt about certain things. And that kind of, I'm always thinking about it because I'm always mining my past for, for material. Uh, I'll tell you, it's tiresome and tiring. <laughs> Going back to the past and thinking about really bad shit and really embarrassing memories, that kind of stuff, it gets yeah. tiring. It really does. Most people like to, I like, I, I, I actually admire the person who just says, ah, forget about it. You know, move on. Yeah. But I gotta, I gotta mine stuff. I gotta go back and dig, dig for feelings and dig for memories and stuff just to get my characters uh, going. You know, like if I have to do a young person, I gotta think about myself or ask my daughter or, 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 or she's fifteen. So I kind of listen. Uh, you know, which how she uh, feels about things, how she talks about stuff. Because I'm not fifteen. I'm not, you know, a young person anymore. So I do need to mine my past, my own past, and try to be observant. Mm -hmm. um, it's just what's really weird now. It might just because of the school my daughter goes to. She goes to a uh, an arts school, you know, arts high school, uh, that where she's you know studying, uh, you know, like filmmaking and stuff. And, and she's in the dance class. We, you know, they, they can have dance class instead of PE and stuff. I went to a regular school where it was just a freaking nightmare, just bullies and a holes and just you know, indifferent teachers and just, you know, you just had to, like, hang out with your buddies and smoke dope just to yeah. ease the pain, you know. Uh, and she doesn't live that way. It's weird. She's not, She's. I don't know if it's her high school or what, and I just notice when I listen to her friends talk and when she talks about her friends, there just isn't that really gruesome hostility <laughs> that there was when I was growing up in high school. And I'm thinking, is it just because she's in this school and, is it, and she, all she knows is artists? I mean, you know, they're petty in their own way because they're artists, so they're going to be competitive, they're going to be snotty, whatever, you know, but it's not the same. There's not that cruelty. Is part of that socioeconomic? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the world's just better for certain people because I know it's worse for others. Bull yeah. bullying, bullying is worse than ever, you know, but it's not everywhere. That's what yeah. I'm surprised about, you know. It's not like it... I mean, it's there, of course, it's there, and it's worse than ever, but... Man, when I was growing up, bullying was in every section of your life. Anywhere you went, there was bullying. You yeah. know, this, this wretchedness. And my especially if you have older brothers. <laughs> Let me I tell you, one, I got one older brother, and he passed it down to me. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I used my lessons well. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I was a pretty rotten kid. I was. I admit it. I'm no innocent kid. No, I was rotten. Yeah, see, I'm the I'm the youngest of three boys, so I can, oh, yes. I can tell you stories. It was dumped on you, but yeah, oh, sorry yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I feel sorry for Jaime and uh, my my younger brother and sister. They they were just dumped on by three older brothers. Yeah. Sometimes you can make amends, and sometimes you can't. Yeah. Well, I've got his revenge. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, he's he's only become one of the most talented, you know, cartoonists, you know, uh, you know, t uh, top ten cartoonists of all time, you know. So he got his, uh, maybe top five, you know. Does he ever send you like just mean emails, just like, hey, look what I got? Oh no, he doesn't need to. No, I I recognize. No, I, I'm actually I'm pretty good about that. I recognize his um, attention to his work, you know, because mm -hmm. I see it and I go, if I was a fan, I'd be saying the same thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> If I was just a, a reader and enjoyer of his work, I would just be saying the same damn thing because I see it. It's there. There's a neat page in your in the comics dementia where it's like 
all about your ego and your brain. And one part of it is like there's these different points where you're growing up, and I think the last one was like uh, you drawing like a superhero character, and then like Jaime getting attention. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It was because it was yeah because uh, I do, I was just goofing around with science fiction and loving rockets, and I didn't really know you know didn't know what I wanted to say, and Jaime just read right in he goes yeah he's gonna do some size searching too but he was really into drawing the punk girls and doing punk gigs just, yep. I mean, immediately just right away well that's one thing if he just it was just an average artist that would have only gone so far it would have got attention but the attention exploded because he's such a damn good artist you know mm-hmm. and that makes a big difference i mean people don't really talk about that especially in the indie comic scene you know they don't really talk about that that, that art you know mean something in comics, <laughs> you know, and uh, his, you know, his art is so good, you know, right, right off the bat, you know, he was just communicating more than just the punk stuff, it was just this amazing, exquisite artwork that kind of bridged the gap between undergrounds and uh, mainstream comics, because mainstream comics is all about how slick the art is, right, you know, how much better can we be as an artist, um, and then indie comics are more about how how much more can we connect to yeah. an artist, to, to a reader? You know, we'll connect to them as people. So he managed. He's one of the very, very few artists who managed to put both together. So this is what I'm saying by I see it and I see why there's that attention. Mm-hmm. It's all completely deserved. But it pushes you too. Yeah, and it pushes me. It's like, well, I can't be a bum. I can't just be. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> although, although being a bum actually did work with the Palomar stuff because because of Jaime's attention, the attention to Jaime's work, and he was already not not almost selling the book. You know, pretty yeah. much. And I was just sort of hanging around. Uh, I just thought, well, I can do anything I want. Yeah. You know? uh, so that's why I did Palomar. I go, well, nobody's paying attention. Nobody cares. So I'm going to just do what I want and do it as best I can. You know, yeah. I can't do what he does, so I'll do my own thing. You know, it worked out. Now, um, I want to talk about some of the comics in Comics Dementia because um, yeah. it's such a weird smorgasbord of all these different types of things where you'll have, you know, these blubber-esque, straight-out-there stories, and then you'll have some stuff that's, like, really raw and almost, like, a punch to the chest of just like, or punch the gut of just the emotional impact of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the strips I was thinking about, it's I think it's like two pages of just two friends smoking, and one saying uh, they haven't figured out if uh, this is it, if you can get this from smoking or not. And obviously, uh, story oh. about HIV. And I'm really interested in that one and just how um, subdued it is, but it's also really powerful. Well, that was actually for an AIDS benefit book, mm-hmm. uh, and so they just asked them to, you know, we were new then, you know, so they knew they could get us cheap, so, uh, <laughs> and actually it was a, you know, it was a donation, but uh, uh, I just did a story about a person getting AIDS, but at the time I was just being Mr. Art, you know, I was being, I wanted to be as subtle as possible, you know, yeah. since people, people knew that the book was about AIDS, I mean, it was called AIDS. Uh, so I can't remember the title of the book. Was it Strip AIDS? Yeah, Strip AIDS. And, and, and the reader knows it's about AIDS, you know, so I didn't have to mention it in my story, yeah. you know. So that's how, that's how I went. I, I, like I said, sometimes I pull back too much. At the time, I thought uh, I pulled back too much. I don't think you did. Okay. I, don't th- yeah. I think, like, it's, it's really striking, especially in the context of that book, 
um, I mean, in a in an anthology of like everyone doing AIDS, HIV related comic strips, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. But like in the context of this book, it's a lot more powerful just on its own. Oh, I see. Context. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. You know, I, I never think of that stuff. They just they just compile our stuff in different areas, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. So I'm glad you're bringing this stuff up because I, <laughs> I, you know, you know what? It's been a long time. It's been over, you know, thirty some years, and I just have so much stuff out there. I don't think about what I was thinking about when I did it. You know, yeah. it's only when I have to reference my stuff when I have, when I do that. Well, I mean, that one especially to me is so vital because folks don't kind of understand what it was like in the '80s. Mm. It was like okay. this, this, you know plague and just people were infected and that was it their lives were over you were destroyed mm -hmm. um well, the, resonance. it's interesting because now they're just making films about it and right talking about it and stuff but i remember at the time it was early 80s and my brother and i my younger brother and i were watching the news happened to be watching the news and they, they just said this mysterious disease that was striking gay men and they showed this guy that was so messed up I go, what the hell kind of disease does that? You know, he was like, what? What? And then it was the next thing was like a little fluff piece about a puppy. And I was like, wait a minute. I just saw it. <laughs> this serious? They don't know why these guys are being, you know, like falling apart and dying. You yeah. know? And, and, it's, and it's a gay man. I go, what's going on? Isn't that, isn't that serious? Nobody seemed to care. Why do you care? You're the queers. You know, like, what? Wait, yeah. but, you know, like, are you serious? You know, and I remember just, and then just hearing about it, you know, open, and then finally it got noticed because Rock Hudson, the, the movie star, got it and died from it. And then one by one, everybody started dropping off. I'm like, what? You know, but it was still like, well, that's what's going on. We don't know what it, what's causing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, we don't really care either, you know. It's... Yeah, yeah. And now, you know, it's it, luckily people are just completely on the case, you know. And, and, and But I remember thinking that, like, why doesn't anybody care? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's horrible. Like, if you ever see the footage of the, uh, it was a news conference with uh, Reagan's press secretary just laughing at someone for asking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah, you see that stuff now? And you go, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and that was, I was, one of the reasons I think about it is because also reading Julio's Day after that, where you touch on that a little bit um, with someone getting the test back and feeling like a survivor. Um, mm -hmm. and it was just really. I guess that helped with the resonance of like what that means, that whole survivor idea. Yeah, I just I put that in there because it's well, it's just it's part of you know like 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 I was doing you know like Julio's uh, Day was like I said, from beginning of the century to the end of yeah. the twentieth century. So I brought up AIDS as, as a subject because that was a subject in the eighties. You know, mm -hmm. the, the new the new you know the new disease, whatever. So yeah, I don't know, man. Um, one of the other, th there's a couple other stories in particular I want to ask about. One that I was kind of surprised to come by was the Gallery of Martyrs, uh, mm -hmm. where you drew a specific oh, yeah. saint. Because I also find that you kind of rally against Catholicism quite often in your work, too. Um, only because of the fear it instilled me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like parts of it. I like how it uh, keeps people together, keeps their, their them sane, and keeps them, um, keeps them moving, especially poor people, you know, mm -hmm. keeps them, faith keeps them uh, moving forward, you know. 
um, and, and and having and dealing with the deaths of uh, you know loved ones. That that I think it, it it was good for me growing up seeing that. But then the other half was just uh, you know how freaking fascistic and evil it was <laughs> if you didn't toe the line. You know, yeah. if you don't toe the line, you're you're effed, man. You're screwed. You're just gonna suffer. You know, and this and that. And meanwhile, these you know priests are screwing boys. You know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. it's like what the f's going on here? You know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I you know it's not a conscious effort. It's just you know, I just I don't know. I'm just sticking it to the man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what was that work originally in? Uh, which one now? I'm sorry. The Gallery of Martyrs. Oh, that was the, uh, probably my book after Love and Rock is New Love. Oh, okay. Called new. I'm pretty sure. God, I'm already forgetting. It was basically based on. Here go. Here comes my nostalgia again. It was based on the first Fantastic Four annual. <laughs> back in the <laughs> early '60s, where they had a gallery of villains, right? Yeah. And and I just love the way that it was presented. It was like a page. Exactly. The the whole layout is. I stole from the, from this from Jack Kirby's uh, layout. It was just basically. They told the history of the Fantastic Force villains from issue one to up to fifteen or something, and I was fascinated by it because we didn't have all the comics. So, like the first issue, the Mole Man; number two, the Scrolls; three, the Miracle Man; and then and there was a few in the middle that I was like, "What characters are these? We don't have these comics." So it just really fascinated me just this whole setup, the way they did that. They're big pinups of villains, and I'd never seen that before, you know. Yeah. And. Uh, and I guess they're just filling up space for a Fantastic Four annual, you know. I guess I don't know why they did it, but it was so cool, awesome. Since I was a kid, I always felt like I wanted to do something like that. So when it came to doing filling up pages for a New Love, I thought, uh, hey, you know, I'll just swipe that. And, but I go, I didn't want to make up superheroes or villains or anything, so I just used saints. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> the inspiration. Um, now the Roy character. Um, uh-huh. uh, is he a bit of a stand-in for you at times? Yeah, yeah, he's the stand-in of me who is just the doofus that just likes kid stuff, you know? Yeah. But, but how it backfires, you can't really, you know, if you want to impress girls, you can't like that stuff, you know? That kind of sort of thing, you know? I left the girl stuff out with Roy, so I just kept it like he's just a, you know, a victim of his, you know, doofusness, <laughs> you know? I don't know, just a character to be mean to. Kind of remind me a bit of uh, Herbie. In a way, yeah, yeah. Herbie was in control, and he had great, great, great powers, and chicks were into him. So, but just the hair could do, I guess. Yeah. The <laughs> now, there's one particular Roy story which stuck out to me, um, and it was just like a little five-panel thing at the bottom of the page called Clip Art, um, which was all about your daughter at the time, who I guess was one and going through some health stuff. Uh huh. And uh, which really struck me about that is because you don't really put that like current personal work into work so literal in a way and I'm just wondering how that strip came about well having a kid you know for me at least was such a big deal you know because it was always about me 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 and whatever and my comic books and my you know dark life whatever mm-hmm. and and so having a kid was is for real you know it's like this is business you roll up your sleeves and you take care of this every day 24 yep. hour 24 7 and so she was a doll. She was a beautiful little girl when she was, and then right away we found out she had heart problems. So that just like that knocks you for a loop. So as I was just 
uh, and you know she you know she's okay now, but she does have you know she has to get checkups and stuff, and she's had open heart surgery twice. And uh, so when I was developing, you know, just these little short things, I, I would I would often go like I looked I, I often look at the whole book as what's missing. Like I don't want a lot of repetition, so I'll break up the, a page and just put a little strip at the bottom. But I'm not necessarily sure what it what it is. Mm-hmm. So really, um, a lot of times I just set up a, a comic like Blubber and just have okay, I'm gonna have like two long stories and a bunch of short ones. Uh, let me see. This, these pages are repetitious, so I'll just break it up and put a little strip at the bottom. But I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I just trust myself that I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> and so that's what happened there. It's like my daughter's health and just having a baby at the time was just always on my mind. So I just thought I'd just put it in there. You know, just do little stories of her, of what I was thinking about at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And I just wanted to make these little, you know, Valentines for her. You know, little strips that she could look at now. Yeah. You know. You're carefully picked out comic strips that she's allowed to read. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not that easy. She's only fifteen. I want her to hurry up, be eighteen, so she can read it all. You know. <laughs> but uh, oh, are you kidding? She's been exposed to so much in my house. I showed her movies I shouldn't have showed her when she was too young because she insisted on seeing it. <laughs> she was eleven and she goes, "Dad, I have to see The Exorcist." And I go, "No, you don't." And she goes, "Yes, because everybody's seen it and everybody knows about it." I didn't know she was lying. I didn't know she was. She was just saying everybody saw it. I go, "Yeah, but they're all traumatized and weird." So we watched The Exorcist, uh, an edited version on television, right? Yeah. Well, you know how television is now. It's different from when we were kids. They used yep. to edit movies when we were kids. They don't oh, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> So we watched a pretty much unedited version of The Exorcist when she was 11 or 12, I can't remember. And she was horrified. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> she was way too young for that. And I, I've made blunders like that all the time. Like, okay, we're going to be ready to see this movie. Whoops. Oh, yeah, when I took her to Spider-Man 2, um, she kept saying, uh, she was four. And I go, well, it's just Spider-Man's fun. You can see him you know, swing on a rope. He's going to fight a guy that has octopus arms on. So I had no idea it was going to be a horror movie. You know, I had no idea it was literally people are going to be dismembered by, you know, Dr. Octopus tentacles and stuff. So I just thought it was going to be a fun action movie. I thought, well, she had her eyes closed the whole time because it was just so horrifying to her. And here I am, doofus dad. Does doofus dad leave? Take her out? No. He watches the movie while she's got her eyes covered. I go, man, I'm a total dad. Totally. Honey, it's Spider-Man. He's beating up the bad guy. Yeah, but the bad guy's dismembering people in the hospital. I say, okay. Thank you, Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, thanks for making a horror movie. But you know, they were just going. They were just going like how. Like, look, it's ended up with Deadpool. They, they, I just didn't. I think a superhero is a Superman with a little kid. Yeah. I don't think that the modern reader wants to get darker and more violent. You know. So the more darker, the more violent the superhero movies, the more they're supposedly like them. So, and I yeah. just was not attuned to that. You know, I'm going to it like I'm watching a, you know, Saturday matinee serial. You know, and Harry's is dismemberment. And <laughs> what did you think of uh, the Mad Max Fury Road? Okay, this is where I'm, I'm. I'm citing my age. I thought it was fun and exciting, except I just think the editing is just a jumble, makes it a jumble. The editing is so cut so quick away from what you're looking at. Because I'm a person that looks at a scene and fixates on what's going on visually. And then they're always cutting away from it. They're always zooming away and cutting away. And 
the the the, the editor just won an Oscar last night, so it j- just means that for that movie. So I'm I'm just out of it. I'm just I'm just not into that kind of storytelling. One of the things they do in that movie, which is interesting for me in the in the sh- shots, is they always use the center of the screen as where you're supposed to pay attention. Uh huh. I don't know if you ever noticed that, like. That's kind of why they would move so weirdly. It's like you constantly had to look at the middle. Like if you put a, an X, like how Frank does his comics, yeah. pages, diagram, Venn diagram things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the reason for that is now, but I know in the old days they did that because movies were becoming widescreen. Yeah. And not uh, all theaters had widescreen equipment. And it was going to be shown on TV, so they put all the action in the middle. Now, if you notice, um, like I say, a film like Gone with the Wind, which is really unusual for 1939 to have a 70-millimeter film, but they wanted to make it the biggest epic, blah, blah, blah. So it only played, like, in three theaters in the U.S. as a widescreen film. Oh, really? Yeah, it was only, like, in L.A., New York, and maybe, you know, I don't know where else. Uh, Chicago. Maybe Chicago, maybe New York. I mean, uh, San Francisco. Maybe it was in several, several theaters, but not everybody had that kind of equipment, so they would have all the action in the middle. And you can watch the movie because I notice whenever the movie is telecast on TV, they always show the square version. They don't show the uh, the seventy millimeter version because you have to buy that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was some cynical reason. You have to buy the, the, that one if you want it, and it's gorgeous because the art direction in those days was beautiful and this and that. But the film, the action's all in the middle. You don't miss anything. Yeah. You know. Whereas you can watch a CinemaScope movie or a, even a Steven Spielberg movie or something. You'll notice that the action is going back and forth, and, and it looks terrible on TV or regular square. You know, like Jaws looks terrible before they started making the widescreen version yeah. on TV. You know? Anyway, that, that's, I'm just saying, so I don't know the reason for that now, because nobody has a square TV anymore. Yeah. <laughs> if they do, it's not going to last. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why, so it sounds to me like they put all the action in the middle so you can watch it on an old TV. But nobody's got an old TV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know the reason. See, I'm old. I don't know. There's, there's some kind of cynical reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> now, we have two issues of Blubber Out. Are there more to come? Yes, yes, because I have an endless, my toilet is endless. <laughs> the garbage in my mind. So, uh. It's like that um, uh, Chester Brown comic strip, The Man Who Couldn't Stop. <laughs> yeah, this is just, except it's my brain. Um, uh, yeah, I, I probably won't go on forever, but yeah, I do have a few more issues. And I'm actually I'm considering uh, like doing uh, uh, tone shifts in some of the issues. Like, say, issue five or something will just be completely clean and not about any kind of violence or mayhem or humiliation. <laughs> You know, I just don't know how that's going to work. Because I think right now people are enjoying what's he going to do next. Yeah. And I and I'm going to play with that. I'm not going to resist that. I'm not going to say, oh well, I'll do what I want, and you guys have to follow. No. If 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 everybody's having fun with the doo doo coming out of people's heads, uh, I'll do that for a little while. Are you? I've got got plenty of it. Are you surprised by the reception? Not really. Not really. Um, I'm surprised at the reception that is is positive. Yeah. Uh, that, that people are very happy. <laughs> you know, they're, they're giggling when they tell me talk to me about it. So that that part worked out good. I did, didn't anticipate that. I thought they might like it just because it was outrageous, and yeah. um, they, they weren't looking uh, for that from me. You know, so that I knew would happen. Like, whoa, Gilbert's gone crazy. Whoa, look at this. You see this? Wow. You know that kind of thing. But I didn't know it would make them happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it didn't make it didn't make my wife happy. Let me tell you. <laughs> Look what I just drew. That's great, honey. Yes, like yeah. Well, now could you like do something for real? <laughs> well, they gotta pay me for that. So you know, and then uh, so. But uh, yeah, no, she just thinks she thinks it's gross. That's all. I mean, it's not like she you know disapproves or anything. She's yeah. You know, that's really gross. <laughs> that's all. And just kind of shrugs. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today, Gilbert. I've really appreciated you taking the time to okay, chat comics with me. Didn't hurt, hurt, hurt your eardrums. Nope, not at all. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I hope folks take the time to check out. Uh, comics Dementia should be out in stores already or soon. I think Love and Rockets 8 is out, and yeah. Blubber 1 and 2 are out, and I'm presuming 3 will be out soon as well. Hopefully around March or April, probably April, and yeah, Blubber know. 3. Yeah. And then uh, Collected Twilight Children in yeah, the spring or summer. So the summer, uh, we'll, we'll be having Eleven Rockets 9, the first pamphlet, or number one, I guess. Oh, be. like Volume 4? Yeah, Volume 4. My favorite Black Sabbath album, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, let me think. Um, sure. It's a good uh, one. Yeah, should be 19... Uh, should be another it's another busy year for me so yeah no you you don't slow down I'm, how many pages a week do you find you can do um, you know i never finish the pages all at once you know oh, okay. so i'm always just you know just going wacky wacky with this page i do as much as i can on it and then another page and i'll take a break and well i usually do three three projects at once that's why it works uh, uh, just because i if, if not, not i don't necessarily get bored with one i just get stuck on it yeah. In the old days, it was like, if you're stuck, you're stuck. You go out to a bar, you drink, you, you know, you do anything but the work. And that used to drag on to just, uh, more than hours. It would be days sometimes, you know. Yeah. Just, I'm stuck on it. So I just gave up on that and just put it aside and started different projects. So I'll have three projects at the same time. Because once you just shift gears like that, or for me anyway, uh, I'm able to just get going on a different project. And yeah. then the other one will, will, will have, be, you know, have its rest time, and then I can get back into it. So yeah, I'm usually doing three books at once, different different types. Just shifting gears. Yeah, shifting gears, and because uh, you know it's it's been it's practice. It's that it's not like it just magically comes to me. I've just been d done it for so long that uh, <laughs> yeah, I can do I can do it. I, I gotta slow down though. I sometimes I overdo it. I overwork sometimes. I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just burns you out. You just you know after a while, one day you just go, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, it's and true. You I mean, if you're not enjoying it. Yeah, if it just becomes work and, and, and pushing yourself and adding more workload, uh, you just find yourself, you know, the times I find myself just saying, stop. You know? And if you're not enjoying Blubber, something is really wrong. <laughs> well, Blubber's pretty easy to do. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, I'm trying not to make it look easy, but it, it, it is easy, relatively, anyway. <laughs> it, it's probably a good, like, way to start the day. Or yeah. maybe not, because then you just want to keep going with it. Well, you look at the decisions I have to make. I go, what's funnier, a large dick or a tiny dick? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I said, penises are funny, and you, go, you can't lose with the penis humor, so. Yeah. No, no I, uh, I will not argue that. No, no. <laughs> All right, and reminder, folks, uh, Gilbert will be at WonderCon LA over Easter weekend, and I'm presuming uh, your brother will be there as well. Yes, he will. There we go. All right. Thank you so much, Gilbert. Oh, yeah. I hope I didn't bore everybody too much. Thank you.